It's Sunday, and you tune in to your favorite weekend podcast, but instead of Jeff Kelly's dulcet tones, you hear a couple of interlopers from the History Files and Gordon's Gun Closet. What does it mean? For the answer to this and other questions, stay tuned to episode 166 of Sunday Morning Coffee with Jeff. show on the back burner like last year, he decided to hand over the reins to a couple of podcast slackers again. Yeah, the history files in Gordon's gun closet are still dark. Don't despair. Like the Terminator, we'll be back, just not maybe as rapidly. Now, before we get too far in, I just want to make a couple of comments about last week's episode, which was about dangerous toys. Gordon, I don't think you've heard it yet, but he it's hilarious. He talks about incredible edibles and jarts. Remember lawn darts? Oh, yeah. We found some when we were cleaning up your dad's house, remember? Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I remember playing with those as a kid, and I hardly ever died. But, uh, you know, whatever. No, you weren't into throwing them at your little brother either. <laughs> no, no, we did not do that. What else did he talk about? He ta- Oh, man, there was, a, there was one toy that was... Um, it was basically a radio radioactivity kit. You could create isotopes and do the things and irradiate yourself. It was pretty awesome. And there was another cool. thing where you used um, carbide crystals and water to make acetylene gas, basically to launch a ping pong ball out of a ray gun type thing. Acetylene gas out of a little gun, and you launched ping pong balls at great speed. Needless to say, that was pulled off the market. After well, yeah, we had hurt. acetylene cannons that we used to stuff things into. Oh, You see? never did that? No, I didn't even know that oh. existed. Oh, yeah. But I remember I remember the creature thing where you had the goo. and you. I, I mean, we never had one ourselves, but um, Jeff did. And we had, um, in my life, there were some neighbor kids across the street who had that. And I remember, I can smell it. I can smell oh, yeah. that stuff in that hot mold. Oh yeah, I had one of those. You could make dragons or little men and all kinds of cool stuff. Did you ever have, apparently there was another thing where you, there was a little cauldron where you melted lead and cast your own little metal figurines. Well, I didn't have one from the store, but I had it. Yeah, because you you were casting bullets and stuff like that. Well, long before that, um, my grandfather cut out some little uh, molds of little Tin soldiers. Oh, he made you his own. And yeah, and then I we just cast, melted some lead, and we poured them in there, and I had my little tin soldiers. You inhaled all those lovely lead fumes. Well, that along with the mercury that we I'd throw a penny into and roll around, <laughs> then I had a dime, and I have actually passed a couple of those off. And, as dimes. Yeah, and I because you mercury coated some pennies. Yeah, and I'd roll around. You the, heard it here, folks. I rolled mercury around in my hand because <laughs> it was really cool. And, oh yeah. Oh, yeah, I did all sorts of things, and I'm still not dead. Yeah, we're, we're from a different generation. Anyway, that was an awesome episode. So if you haven't heard it, check it out. It's um, last week's episode. It was great, or two weeks ago episode, Dangerous Toys. Anyway, for this week, we had planned on a, a wintry, if not downright Christmassy episode. But Gordon, who rarely gets sick, has just come out from under a nasty cold that had him down for quite a ways. And then I've spent the past month 
working on a feature film, which was shooting right here in Seattle. And in fact, just today, got into a meeting for another feature film that's coming up in a few months. So I suddenly, after all these years, I'm actually making movies like I've always wanted to do. Anyway, so I've been swamped. So, uh, yeah, it's been crazy that the, the feature film thing also explains the temporary disappearance of the other Psycon show moving on. Sorry, Brecky, because I just I've been unavailable. But luckily, we wrapped principal photography on that film project last week. Um, I'm in, like I say, in pre. So, Gordon, I'm going to let you start. OK, our first one comes from uh, Hollywood. All right. Just good old Los Angeles, and uh, Victor Mature. This podcast is part of the SciCon Network. You can support this podcast and others like it by becoming a subscriber at patreon.com forward slash SciCon. That's C-S-I-C-O-N. A link can be found on the Coffee with Jeff website. Just a dollar or two is all it takes to keep these podcasts going. Thank you for your support. So Gordon, I'm going to let you start. Okay, our first one comes from uh, Hollywood, all right, just good old Los Angeles, and uh, Victor Mature, I'm not sure if you remember him, but he was a very, very popular actor back in the 50s and early 60s, so it seems as though he applied for membership to the Los Angeles Country Club, and uh, they were very persnickety about such things. They didn't like actors in their club. And so when they said, oh, we don't allow actors in our club, he said, well, obviously I'm no actor and I have 64 movies to prove it. Yeah. You've never seen any of my movies, have you? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that was pretty amusing. He also is said to have, uh, on one of the sandal epics he was on, uh, he would give extras a ride back from out way out on the desert back to L.A. And they stopped it. I think it was Poncho Barnes's place in. Uh, oh, really? Near the airfield. Near the airfield um, in uh, in Mojave. And somebody was giving them grief, and because <laughs> they were still dressed up in their in Roman their, outfits. Their togas. And Victor Mature says, "Ah, oh, you got something against soldiers." <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Oh yeah. Well, doesn't Groucho Marx have a story about? About um, country clubs and being refused membership. Yeah, yeah, he was. No, I think he said that uh, he wouldn't belong to any country club that would have him as a member. Ah, very good. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds very Groucho. So, yeah, my my historical Hollywood thing is actually a reference to um, there's a an old television series that a British like Thames production company, the Thames Thames. Yeah, it was Thames. It wasn't ITC. They put this together. It's a documentary series that came out, I think, in the 70s, late 70s, called Hollywood. And each one, I can't remember if they're half an hour or an hour long, but I ran into the, uh, this series for the first time back in the 80s at a library, and it was a VHS tape, and I just saw this thing called Trick of the Light, you know, a Hollywood documentary about lighting in film, lighting and camera work in film. Oh, well, that looks interesting. It's a whole series. I'd only ever seen that one. Most of them are now on YouTube. I'll put a link to the one I'm going to talk about in our show notes. But most of them are on YouTube. They're narrated by James Mason with his wonderful voice. And this one, Trick of the Light, is all about lighting and camera work in Hollywood. And talks about the early, very early days of uh, camera work and lighting in Hollywood. And 
two there were two cool points that I remember about this particular episode. I need to go and rewatch it because it's awesome. One of the things was a little anecdote from either Lillian or Dorothy Gish, one of the Gish sisters, and she talks about how they, you know, they would shoot in the early days because she started out in silence and they would shoot either out of doors or in a studio that was open at the top so light could come in, just natural daylight. And uh, they, and also they, um, you know, lighting, they were figuring out how how uh, film worked and camera techniques and editing to everything was just in its infancy and they didn't know how to do. And I guess one day she said they were having lunch and back in those days you actually sat at a nice table with a white tablecloth on it, especially if, especially if you were the talent. And one of the camera guys noticed all the beautiful light bouncing off of the white tablecloth onto the people's faces. And he was like, oh my word, it's, it's filling in all the shadows and everybody looks beautiful and luminous. And that was the birth of the use of reflectors. So um, that's when they started doing that. And the other story was, um, I think it was from Ms. Gish also, the fact that when they started using indoor sets, they needed to use artificial lighting. Um, oh, also, this is why um, California was Mecca for filmmaking because you had nice, sunny, warm days and you could shoot outside a lot. Anyway, so when you're shooting on a cover set indoors in a soundstage or whatever, they went to electric lighting. They used Klieg lights, which are awesome and bright and wonderful, but it was just a naked bulb in, in a, you know, a reflecting canister. And they didn't realize how harsh those lights were. And they, um, before they learned to put glass over these things, people were basically getting very harsh UVs in their lights. And they, after a while of shooting on these sets with the Klieg lights, it would ruin their eyes. They would get to where it just felt like they had sand in their eyes. They called it Klieg eyes. And people would have to take weeks off to like sit in a dark room and recover because it got so painful because of these lights. And they didn't realize that if they just put glass over it, it would, you know, it would take their care of that problem. So that was an that was an interesting thing too. So anyway, I'll put that link in the show notes. Trick of the Light, a really wonderful. It's an older documentary series, but there's nothing in it that you could do better today, and I highly recommend it. While we're on the subject of Lillian Gish, um, <clears throat> we have a rather interesting little anecdote to throw in there. A good friend of ours is the grandson of Richard Bartlemus. And he starred in a film with Lillian Gish way down east, I believe. Uh, yes, and also Broken Blossoms. But in Way Down East, uh, Lillian Gish, they literally put her on an ice floe mm-hmm. with her hair drape, draping into the water. And Richard Bartlemus literally had to jump from ice floe to ice floe mm-hmm. and rescue her because it literally... That they were going to go off a, a waterfall. waterfall. Yeah, yeah. It's all on. It's all on film. You can see that whole moment. And in fact, I think she talks about that in an episode of this Hollywood series because I remember yeah. watching her talk about this scene. And she says she was so cold, her hair was actually frozen to the ice. Her hair froze to the ice, and he had to yank her up off of the ice and broke her hair off. Yeah. But he literally was saving her life because had he not done that, she'd have gone right off. Oh, yeah. And drowned. Yeah. No CGI back then, folks. Yeah. And directors, as always, are, hey, that was a great shot. They really don't care. They didn't care about the actors. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was bad. Oh, you died. Oh, well, we got a great shot, though. (laughs) Yeah. Do it again. No. 
So, Gordon, speaking of going in harm's way and having weird things happen, Gordon, you've got a few stories, especially involving horses. Yeah, equestrian mishaps. So, so we're going to go from the, the golden era of Hollywood up to our era when we were working in stuff. <laughs> Not so golden. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So one thing, uh, one of my specialties uh, somehow ended up being uh, throwing... Throwing lit torches from horseback. And for our English viewers, a torch in this case is a stick with uh, fire on one end of it, not a flashlight. Not an electric torch. Yes. And so, uh, unlike in the movies... Oh, if oh, sorry, I'm gonna. I'm sorry, interrupting. In England, they call them flambeaux, the actual fire torches. Okay. Yeah. Well, we call... <laughs> what you call a... A torch, we call a flashlight, and what you call a flambeau, we call a torch. Anyway. Just to be confusing. Unlike in the film, you don't just wrap a piece of cloth around a stick, light it, and it burns for hours. Uh, what What they do is they wrap some cloth around a stick, tie it on, or, or, uh, secure it with wire, and then you dunk it in diesel fuel. Light it, and it burns for about five minutes, at which point you dunk it in some more diesel fuel. All right. So when you're on horseback dealing with this, first off, you take a stuff called Zell Gel, which is an anti-flame uh, retardant. It's a flame, flame retardant. retardant. Mm-hmm. It's this gel stuff. And you smear it all over your horse. Because the last thing you want to do is catch your horse on fire. It's really bad. Uh, for everybody concerned, including the film industry in general. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we smear our horses with smell gel. Smell gel. <laughs> Zell gel. They already smell. Um, and you've got this burning torch. Anyway, we got to do this in a number of different films. I've set fire to Indian villages in Geronimo. Um, there was a post office in The Postman that we were mm-hmm. involved in the arson of uh, and general mayhem. Gordon Fry, professional arsonist. Yes. Uh, we set fire to an entire town in Ride with the Devil. We set fire to the church in um, The Postman. No, no Patriot. The, the Patriot, yes. So, I mean, we. It, it was sort of one of those little tricks that you learn. And again, you've got a horse that's covered in Zell Gel, but you still don't want to set him on fire. So when you take one of these torches and it's now burning down because you've been waiting for 20 minutes for the uh, camera crew to actually get ready to film this thing and you have a one of the uh, crew guys coming around with a bucket of of uh, diesel diesel fuel which you stick your lit torch in it's already it lit. It's and already you stick lit. It in a bucket you of stick diesel. it in there, and then come up, and it's usually lit again when you bring it back and up. Dripping and flaming globs off. Right, of it. and you're yeah. dripping flaming droplets of diesel fuel. So, in order to actually properly throw this thing, you've got to do it underhand. If you do it overhand, you're going to end up dropping a lot of flaming diesel fuel on your horse's back, and he's really not going to like it. And (laughs) neither are your friends. They're going to get really annoyed with you, too, for setting your horse on fire, or at least trying to. And so there's a very, you know, specific technique for doing a nice, long, underhanded toss 
as opposed to throw. I guess in Texan they'd call it chunk. It's chunk it. <laughs> Chunking and throwing. Throwing. Throw. No, there's no R in there. Oh. Throw. <laughs> so chunking and throwing. Uh, and you you throw this thing or chunk this thing up uh, onto the roof of the building in which you are, you know, committing arson with. Mm-hmm. So um, at any rate, that's a, um, a specific technique that next time you're on horseback and you have to set fire to something and you have one of these flambeaux. So underhand, not overhand. Underhand, okay. yes. A nice long sweep, which you keep a well away from your horse mm-hmm. and you... You, without, hit, you hit the ceiling fan. Without hitting the ceiling fan, <laughs> you chunk this thing up onto the roof. So, awesome. Yeah. So that's a very specific uh, technique. So now you know. Now you know. Let's see. Don't, tell, don't say we never taught you nothing. So next off on such things as uh, equestrian amusements and mishaps, on Rambo 3, we uh, got to go charging across this... Oh, rather large uh, wash, mm-hmm. uh, a dry riverbed. And what's the story there? It's like you're supposed to be in Afghanistan. I've never seen right. Rambo Three. <clears throat> We're basically the Northern Alliance in Afghanistan okay. coming to the rescue of Rambo, who is there to rescue, uh, what, Richard Crenna, I guess, oh, or somebody. Oh, yeah, yeah, from <clears throat> Russians? From the evil Russians. From the evil Russians, okay. Yes, yes evil Russians. And they had a bunch of Marines there portraying evil Russians. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they had all kinds of really interesting pieces of Soviet-era armor. And since this was 88, it's still Soviet-era. So anyway, this armor. And they kept moving this stuff around. Uh, every time we'd come charging in, the armor would be somewhere different. So we were never <laughs> sure. And at one point... So you're charging in on horseback. We're charging in yeah. on horseback <laughs> in mm, a couple of very... Mm-hmm broad lines uh, and with some distance between the two lines coming in. There's about a good 200 guys uh, charging oh, wow. in, at least. There might have been four because I don't remember if there was 200 reenactors and another couple hundred and stunt this, guys. Or yeah. And this was your first horse cavalry job, right, yeah. on film? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it was the first Back one I did horse stuff. 80s, 88. 88, okay. So... We come flying in there, and I go around this armored personnel carrier, which my horse really wanted to charge into. He was a former polo polo pony, oh, so he, he wasn't had, afraid of smacking into things. He wasn't afraid of anything, and we came running <laughs> around this thing, and I find my company commander Carl Luthen broadside to me for some reason on his horse just standing there yeah his horse was just they were just standing there just talking to somebody i don't even know what the <laughs> heck for and i ran smack dab into him with my horse knocking him down his horse down and i went did a complete somersault right over the top and i was feeling really dumb because i lost my horse right my horse is gone and i'm standing there did you land on your feet uh no <laughs> I actually landed on my tailbone, which is why I'll have the next story. Okay. But, um, yeah, that was really painful. Uh, So you lost your horse. I lost my horse. And I thought, oh, man, I'm going to look really stupid. All these other guys, you know, are really good horsemen and they're much better than me and da-da-da-da. And I get this, 
don't know, seems like a parade of guys leading horses back down from this canyon. Ah, uh, you were not and the only one. This year's? No, that's not my horse. That No, that's not mine. Is that No. And about 10 horses later, yeah, that's mine. That's mine. So I was like, okay, I'm, I'm not the only one. So that was rather exciting and amusing. Anyway, because I landed on my tailbone, it was really painful to oh, ride. Oh, so you couldn't ride. So, well, I could, but I didn't like yeah, it yeah, much. Yeah. And so our boss, this fellow by the name of Ray Herbeck, said, hey, Gordon, I need some machine gunners. So why don't you go take a machine gun up on top of this hill with these guys in carts? I'm like, oh, okay, that sounds fun. So I got issued a Browning 1919 machine gun with a, a bunch of blanks, a whole bunch of... Uh, belts of blanks and it's mounted on this cart okay great well the directors these assistant directors up on this this cliff with us kept saying okay move them closer move them closer to the edge move them. and the finally the guy that i was with said i'm not moving this horse this stuff any oh they closer. were horse carts they're horse carts oh yeah yeah we're not putting that and this guy said edge. no i ain't getting any closer I said don't worry about it I'll, I'll just jump off i'll just walk over here i'll stand here and blast away and of course, so was it on a mount? And then you just, you... yeah, it was on a mount. Okay. And I pulled it off and I, how am I going to carry? Oh, I know. They dressed us up, us up as um, Afghans, right? So I've got a prayer shawl. So I tie my prayer shawl. This how, oh my God, the heresy. I tie my prayer shawl around the barrel and then around the pistol grip at the back. So you have a sling. I got a sling. So I'm going to John Wayne this thing, or actually John Balasong. Uh, uh, <laughs> Anyway, so I take it to the cliff and doing all this, all this stuff is happening. I'm just blazing away from the top of this hit, this cliff. And uh, they fire off a flare, which says cut. And I discover that I have my trigger, which is exposed, caught in the prayer shawl. And the thing won't oh, so stop. What was, what, what was your action? What, what? Just like guys on radios. Yeah, well, they'd fire off a flare to start the action. action. Then they'd and another flare, for and then cut. like as like a green flare to go and a red flare to cut. Mm -hmm. Red flare goes off. I'm still shooting. I can see people looking up and like, <laughs> I'm still shooting. shooting. So anyway, I ended up having to twist the belt to jam the thing to make it stop. Oh, because your prayer shawl was jammed in the trigger. Yeah, the trigger was kept on being pulled and I had no idea what was going on. So anyway, that was a little <laughs> bit embarrassing. But I can quite honestly say that I got the trigger of my machine gun caught in my prayer shawl uh, when shooting at uh, the Russian bad guys in Afghanistan. Oh, very good. Very so good. Yeah, that was a little bit. Again, it was an amusing time. Yeah, you've you've had some other equestrian adventures too. I think you you worked a little bit on uh, the Ron Howard film Far and Away, uh, just the Oklahoma land rush scene, right? Yeah, yeah, which I'm sure was a circus. How <clears throat> that was a circus, all right. If 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 any of you haven't seen that movie, first of all, it's a good movie. It's uh, Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman, and it's Irish coming over from the horribleness in Ireland in the 19th century, immigrating to America, and the big set piece towards the end of the movie, well, the very end of the movie, is the Oklahoma land rush, where they literally lined people who wanted a piece of land, and was it, you went and you just planted a flag and you claimed your yep. 10 acres or 50 acres or yep. whatever it or, was, and mm -hmm. it's just wherever, if you could get to it and stick your flag in it, it was yours. It was they yours. Were, they were trying to settle the area, so they lined everybody up, 
on a starting line and said, go. And people literally, it was a race, a literal race. Yep. And the army <laughs> was out there patrolling the place to make sure you didn't get there early. Oh. They were, they were, you know, organizing this thing. Uh, and uh, one of the funny things about the film was the idea had been to film in Ireland where it's super, super green. And then in Oklahoma, where it's like, Actually, we were in Montana, which is dry and bone mm-hmm. brown and nasty. Well, it turned out it had been a dry year in Ireland oh, no. and a wet year in Montana. So that was... So it was opposite. It was kind of hard for them to do that. They had to do some... Color correction. Yeah, they had to play with things. Anyway, so the the uh, signal for everybody to go was these army guys fired off a little cannon. Boom! It's this little 12-pounder mountain howitzer. And the horses really quickly figured out what this meant. So we're all lined up. Yeah, for, for those of you who have never worked with animals on a film set, horses especially, and dogs too, will do this. They get programmed to where they know what go means. If they hear action... They know that means it's time to do a thing, yep. and they want to go, even if it's not not their turn to go. So some so what film crews find out and assistant directors find out is they have to come up with different signals for animals, different words that mean action, <laughs> right? Because because the horses will go even if you don't want. If them you to. say rolling, then everybody gets really excited, yeah. and then action, yeah. boom, they yeah. go whether they're supposed to or not. Yeah, so anyway, the, the horses on Far and Away got programmed to where they knew that the cannon meant go. Yep, and everybody along that whole line, the it'd go boom, every single horse would would rise up a little bit, and then go down and zoom. It was, it was, it was weird watching just a vroom, vroom, boom. And we would just head off at an absolute headlong rush. And if you and if you have seen the movie and remember this scene, it's not a bunch of Conestoga wagons. It's not a bunch of single guys on horsebacks. It's horseback. It's everything you could possibly imagine. There were Surreys. There were uh, stagecoaches. There were you know flatbed wagons, buggies, guys on horses, guys on mules, people with everything. oxen, people with mismatched teams. <laughs> yes. You, stuff. I ended stuff. up being an outrider for a fellow with a what he called the half-assed team because he had a mare horse and a uh, and a mule pulling his buckboard, <laughs> and that was that was it was an interesting Jack Mormon, <laughs> and we had a lot of fun. Um, but there's all kinds of craziness. One of the first times uh, we did this, I was riding with uh, a friend of mine's teenage boys. And I was supposed to be more or less keeping them out of trouble. And we were told, don't turn your teams if there's a problem because there's a fence over in South Dakota. All right. Let it. <laughs> the implication being just let them run out. Let them run out. Yeah. Well, for some reason, the Wranglers didn't get that news. Oh. And I hear what sounds like a freight train coming from our right. Now, look over. There's this. this a runaway. Yeah, there's a runaway stagecoach barreling along right across in front of everybody. Oh, my goodness. And I, you know, reined them in and, you know, we, whoa, and a fellow that was just on the next side of one of the boys kept on going and those horses knocked into him. Looked to me like the wheel had literally rolled over his head. I mean, I thought, oh my Lord, this guy's dead. So we rode up there. I jumped off. My horse ran over to him and he popped up and said, 
Here's a British guy said, where's my pistol? <laughs> <laughs> right here. You're alive? Oh, yes. <laughs> Thank you. He got pretty, he got pretty banged up. I'll but, bet. Um, yeah, you don't want to turn when you're in a crowd of hundreds of people going. No, that was direction. really, really dumb. Yeah. There was another case uh, mm-hmm. that I didn't witness, but I heard about from another guy, uh, or several other guys. Uh, there was a... Oh, I'm going to interrupt. Just so you know... They didn't do this in one take. This, no. This, how many days did it take to get this oh, sequence? Oh, it took us a week. Yeah. So, the, so they're doing this this startup over and over and over and over again. Yeah. So We'd get yeah. about three a day, three shots a day. Yeah. It's a lot of setup to set all these people. A lot of stuff. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, it wasn't until the very end that they brought out the principles for this. Right. You know, Tom Cruise didn't get to write in every single one of these. No, just no point. Right at the end. And he does have a million-dollar smile. I'll give him for that. Him <laughs> that. You know, he seems like a really nice guy. Anyway, uh, there was a fellow who had a stagecoach. This is a different one. And uh, he had this little girl, like a 10-year-old girl, daughter, in who, who rode in the inside, right? Oh, oh, she was riding as a passenger. She, she was a passenger. He was up on the on the seat. Uh well, when they fired the cannon, somehow or another, he got yanked off. <gasps> but the horses pulled more than he was expecting or something. Anyway, he ended up hanging on down in the trees, right? Oh, my goodness. So, <clears throat> and he's hanging on to, the ho- to his horse's an unplanned stunt. Uh, tack. And he's between the horses. Little girl's like, da-da-da-da-da. She looks out. Where's dad? He's hollering. The... So the horses are going full bore, full bore, and he's hanging on to the hardware. Wranglers can't catch up with them because they're going so fast. Because horses, is it a four up or a two up? I think it was a six. <gasps> oh my goodness! It was a it was a, it was a big team. So you're so then they're dragging and, the line, and there's nothing going on. I mean, yeah, he's anyway. So this little girl climbs out the window, out up into the box seat. And she knew how to run this thing. She reaches down, grabs the reins, and hauls them in. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Please tell me they got that on film. I don't know, but she was our hero. That's for wow, sure. Wow. That just gave me chills. <laughs> yeah. It was pretty cool. And then there was another season where uh, a guy had four huge percherons mm-hmm. across. They were big drafties oh, abreast. Oh, like Ben Hur style. Yeah, Ben Hur style. And... Some lady got unhorsed, and she's saying, oh, I'll wait for the medics. And some guy comes by and says, no, you're not. And he just grabbed her by the arm and rode off as these things come thundering through. Oh, they were just going to roll right oh, over Oh, yeah. He, the guy couldn't stop them, and he couldn't travel, go right or left. So, yeah, it was, there was lots of excitement. Man. Nobody got hurt too bad. Um, but they were actually, I talked to one of the medics. He said, oh, yeah, we expect... Uh, Got some ungodly number of people to go to the hospital. How many ambulances do they have standing by? Uh, they had several. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think you'd have to. It was it was pretty impressive what they had actually uh, had the logistical uh, expectations for. Yeah. Well, that's smart. Yeah. And, you know, we, we lucked out and... Uh, Actually, not. I only got sent to the hospital once, and that was merely <laughs> for a concussion. Yeah. Well, you know what? I think at this point we're going to save the rest of your um, movie-making anecdotes for another installment because we're kind of running out of time. Oh, heck, I got lots more. Oh, I bet you do. <laughs> yeah. So um, anyway, 
we're gonna just go ahead and wind things down. Yeah, I mean, movie making is always exciting, whether you want it to be or not. And uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll share some more with you on a future episode. Well, folks, remember, without your benevolent support, this and the other shows at the PsyCon Network would not exist. If you're not already a supporter, I encourage you to consider becoming one. Just go to PsyCon.fm, that's C-S-I-C-O-N dot F-M, and look for the Patreon link at the top of the page. Of course, a sincere thank you to everybody who already supports the network. We're your one-stop shop for a variety of shows, including the now weekly Geek Days, hosted by Brecky Thomason, a digest of pop culture, tech, and general nerdiness. If you're so inclined, you can even email Jeff directly with comments and suggestions, or just to say hi at coffeewithjeff at gmail.com. If you're on Twitter, follow Jeff there at Coffee with Jeff, all one word. And there's even a Coffee with Jeff page on Facebook. As Jeff reiterates regularly, story ideas are always welcome. If you'd like to support the show but are low on cash, head over to iTunes and leave a review and some stars. This really actually helps other people find the show. Coffee on Coffee with Jeff. We'd like to thank Jeff for letting us do his podcast this week. Brecky Thomason for having the show on the PsyCon Network, David Metzger for the snazzy CWJ logo, Kelly Rickert for writing and performing the Coffee with Jeff theme, and to all of you who listen to the show every week. Thank you so much. And of course, a special shout out to all of you who repost the show across social media. You have a special place in our hearts. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee, coffee with Jeff. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee.